Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 128. Psalm 128. So turn there in your Bible if you have it. It should be in the bulletin as well. This week as I began to study the, the, our sermon text, I began to realize something. I realized this sermon was in a real danger of dying a death of a thousand qualifications. Let me explain that. Here in Psalm 128, we have a picture of what I'm going to call an ordinary life. Okay, just trust me. But we live in such a subjective age that people expect everything to be run through the filter of their own experience to see if it's true or not. And friends, if we approach Psalm 128 with, the, with that attitude this morning, the attitude that it's only true and it's only helpful if it fits my experience, then we will miss what the Lord has for us in His Word. And if I were to try to preach this text with making mention of every exception, we would all get lost along the way. So I want to ask you to do something for a few minutes this morning, no matter what your life has looked like in regard to what this text has to say, let's let God have his way with us this morning and see what the scripture holds up as the ordinary blessed life. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 128. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful, vi fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture of an ordinary, blessed life for the one who fears the Lord. We pray that you would meet each of us where we are in our brokenness and our failings and even in our despair, that we would find hope here in your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, imagine for a moment that you're 18 years old, you're about to graduate from high school, some of you don't have to imagine, there's a few of them out there, and an angel of the Lord appears to you, and the angel says, the Lord has sent me to bless you in any way you ask as long as it brings him glory and it's for your good. How would you want to be blessed? Would you want to be the best at something? Would you want to be famous? Would you want to be taken up in a chariot of fire and escape and never experience a physical death? I wonder if any of us would respond to the angel, please have the Lord bless me with a quiet, ordinary life. I know I would not have said that at 18. Yet here in Psalm 128, we read that everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways is blessed. And the things these faithful followers of the Lord are blessed with seem to be the components of a fairly ordinary life. A good job, marriage, children, community, and long life. Is that what you want? An ordinary human life? 
Some of you young people may be thinking, yes, that, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. That's what I want. Others may be thinking, no way. I'm better than that. I'm more than that, and I'm made for more than that. And some of us who are older may be slipping into regret right now, thinking, oh, if I could only have understood the blessing of a quiet, ordinary life and how that would have been. But whether you're at the beginning of your life or the end or somewhere in the middle, whether you've lived faithfully or unfaithfully, let me say something plainly to you this morning. There is hope in Psalm 128 for everyone, everyone who fears the Lord. And this morning we're going to look at what the Bible sets forth as the ordinary blessed life. I might even say it this way, the ideal blessed life. And we're going to look at this life's norming power and transforming power. Now, those, that may be strange. We'll get to what I mean by that. The ordinary blessed life, it's norming power and it's transforming power. All right, first, the ordinary life. Now, we're just going to be right in the text. So if you've got your Bible, turn back to 128. And before we begin to look at the text, I want to say my choice of words has turned some people off this morning already. I know it has. You hate the word ordinary. Because you equate ordinary with boring and uninteresting and maybe subdued. But as we move through the text, I want you to have this in your mind. I love peaches. Anybody else? I mean, in fact, I think the peach may be my favorite fruit. But it's, a peach is sort of like an avocado. It has this window. You know what I'm talking about. It's this narrow window between baseball and near liquefaction, right? But if you have a good peach and you eat it in its window, it is so good. Let's think of ordinary in this way. A peach is an ordinary fruit. You plant it, it grows, you pick it, and when it's ripe, not before, not after, you eat it, and you love it. And when you bite into it at just the right time, it is anything but boring and uneventful or subdued. If you like peaches, you will know this. The fruit itself, in life and process and appearance, it may not seem like anything special, but the experience of it is anything but ordinary. What we have before us in Psalm 128 may seem ordinary, but in the hand of God, by the power of the Spirit, it can be anything but boring. So what does this life look like? It starts with the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. The foundation of everything else that follows in this psalm is the pilgrim's attitude toward the Lord and his ways, his rules, and his statutes. Another way to say it would be this. The doorway to blessing is the fear of the Lord. Friends, we could spend all of our time right here this morning and look at the rest another day if we wanted to. The fear of the Lord. We, we could, but we won't. What is your attitude toward the one true living God this morning? The Psalms validate every human emotion. They invite us to be honest with God, with our questions, with our doubts and our fears. 
But in the life of the believer, there is an underlying state of mind that runs beneath the surface of every other emotion and inclination to fear the Lord. What we mean here is a holy reverence. Jimmy talked about it earlier, about recognizing God is great and yet still wanting to be near to him. That's a holy reverence or a fear of God. Our dog is terrified of thunder and lightning. Terrified. She fears them with a great fear and hides in our bathroom whenever they come. She has no awe of the storm. She just wants to be away from it and rid of it. If she can, she will hold on until it leaves. This is not what the Bible means when it uses the phrase to fear the Lord. Rather, it means an acknowledgement that God is God and I am not, just like Jimmy said, that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts higher than my thoughts. Here's a definition I got from one of my study Bibles, and I love this. Listen, the fear of the Lord is a state of mind in which one's own attitudes, will, feeling, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God. In short, the fear of the Lord is saying to God, Thy will be done. And rather than longing to be away from God or rid of Him, the one who fears the, God, fears the Lord only wants to be near Him, only longs to be in the presence of the Lord, in reverence and in right relationship with Him. But how can we know if the fear of the Lord is beginning to take root in our souls? How can we know? Now, some of you are going to cringe when I say this. We look at our works. <gasps> works? Now, before you strip me of my Reformed Theologian card, listen. Listen to Paul from Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them in Christ we are freely justified by grace through faith. And we are created in Christ new for the good works that God has prepared. Now look at verse 1 again. I, you'll see where I get this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Right? The fear of the Lord is an attitude. And the walking in the ways of the Lord is an, is an outpouring. It's an outworking of that attitude. The Hebrew concept of walk included the whole manner of life and motives. To walk in the ways of Yahweh is to walk in the good works that he has prepared for us. You see, someone may come in here. This is important. This is important. Someone may come in here this week and week after week and say, I fear the Lord. I've put my hope in Christ to save me from my sins. But if they were honest, they might also say, I mean, I cheat on my taxes. I pad my time card at work. I lie to everybody who loves me. I'm abusing substances to fill the hole in my heart. I'm sleeping with a woman who's not my wife. I covet and I envy all day long. I run over people and I exploit them emotionally. And I never apologize. But hey, I walked an aisle at age 11, so I'm good. Listen. We all sin against the one who saved us. But let me ask you this. When you do, does repentance follow? 
And as you look back over your life, do you see more and more evidence that the Spirit is enabling you to walk in the ways of the Lord? The life changed by Jesus will, over time, to some degree, begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. Why am I, why am I belaboring this? Listen, you cannot build a life on the rest of these things if you don't start with the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, and it's the foundation of a life well lived. So I ask you this morning, do you fear the Lord? It's a state of the heart, and the psalmist tells us here the evidence of it having taken hold is that we walk in his ways. What is the attitude of your heart toward God? Do you want to be away from him so you can live life the way you want it? Do you want to be rid of him and rid of the life that he would call blessed? If so, friend, you lack the fear of the Lord, and it's serious. It's so serious. You've been convinced that you know better than God what will truly bring you peace. But our text goes on, and once the fear of the Lord is established as the condition of the heart, the blessings begin to flow. Now, if you're taking notes, I think I landed on five. Okay, I think I landed on five blessings of the man or woman who fears the Lord, okay? The first one is, and it's a little hard to see, it's the Lord himself. The first one's the Lord himself, because those who fear the Lord do have a relationship with him. In fact, if the text ended right here, it would be enough. It would be enough. To be blessed by God is to feel the presence of his hand and heart. If the text ended right here and the other blessings never flowed from the hand of God, this life would still be considered blessed. C.S. Lewis said it this way, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. If you're not satisfied in God himself, nothing else will ever satisfy. But, but we go on. There's more to it. There's another blessing coming. Look at uh, verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. What we're looking at right here is fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. Work. Who wants to go to work tomorrow? Not as many good hands as I was hoping for. Here we have a picture not of only fruitful labor, but the enjoyment of the fruit of the labor. In other words, God is blessing this God-fear with good, meaningful work that provides what is needed to sustain life. We would call this a secondary cause. A secondary mean that God is the one who blesses and he blesses through the mean of our work. And since the labor is seen as a blessing of God, it is by definition good. Who wants to go to work tomorrow? Now well, we're still struggling. That's okay. That's okay. Um, listen, in our modern industrial society, our labor and what flows from it have been unnaturally separated. They've been unnaturally separated. And I know when you, and I know from experience, when you reach the college tuition years, your bank account can act more of a, as a turnstile than a destination. 
Money just flows through it. It doesn't live there at all. But for many of us, we work all week and our employer sends a digital payment to our account. And before we know it, other companies to whom we have given permission draft our bill payments out of the same account. And the turnstile is flipping. It's not stopping after every you know, passerby. We never really see the fruit of our labor, do we? If we're not intentional about it, we may not see the connection, the connection between our good work and the food on our table. That's not a problem for the farmer. I had dinner at Tracy and Karen's house last night, and we ate okra that was minutes plucked. Tracy had, had and probably his boys, and maybe Karen and this part too, had months before run the chickens over the top of where the garden's going to be. Let them do their thing for a while. And then they moved the chickens out. When it came time, they planted. And then they watered. And then they waited and they waited and they waited until finally the okra was ready for the cast iron skillet. It was good. The labor was good and the fruit of the labor was good. Let me ask you this. What does dinner time look like at your house? Does dinner time look like everyone grabbing a plate and going their separate ways? Does someone murmur a tired old rote obligatory prayer? You know what I'm talking about. Do the people in your household bicker and complain? Listen, dinner. I know, if you have small kids, you'll get there. But listen, dinner should be the celebration of the good work the Lord has blessed the breadwinner or breadwinners with. Dinner is a celebration of good labor and its fruit. And even though electronic fund trans even through electronic funds transfer, the Lord has blessed with the bounty we see before us. Let Psalm 128 transform the way you see your work and the fruit of the labor. And enjoy it with thanksgiving. Good labor is a blessing from God. It's a blessing from God. If you want to know more about this, call Lane Ford next week. He's an expert on it. All right, blessing three. Now listen, for the note takers, this is kind of three and four, okay? Uh, the third thing and the fourth thing we see is a faithful and fruitful marriage. Look at verse 3 with me. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Again, uh, let's call this three, the marriage, and four, the children, okay? Three is the marriage relationship it, itself. Our text is addressing this from the husband's perspective that his wife will be a fruitful vine within his house. But let's pause here for a moment and let's just think of the whole relationship between husband and wife as it blesses both of them. Now, I'm drawing from other scriptures uh, for some of this. But some of the commentators I read on this verse, they said that the word translated here, within, within your house, it points to the innermost part of the house, the most private and the most protected part of the house. The idea here is that the wife is faithful, not only to her husband, but in her labor for the benefit of house and family. Now, listen, if this offends your modern sensibilities, 
Don't take this as holding that the life, that we're holding the life back from a fuller potential or work outside the home. I'm not saying any of that this morning. All I'm saying is the picture here is of the wife within the house, protected and serving and loving her family. Okay? It's a picture of a stable home, one in which husband and wife play their complementary roles for the benefit of the whole family. We have portrayed before us a relationship of mutual respect, love, and partnership for the good of the family. And of the wife, we could think of a Proverbs 31 woman here. I don't have time to look at the whole passage, but I think it's, it's a fitting import into the imagery of this passage. Listen to some of the things said about this faithful wife. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And her husband praises her. And verse 30 says that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain or fleeting, but a woman who, get this, fears the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. I want you to imagine the blessedness of this home. The husband has fruitful labor. The wife has fruitful labor. They're committed to one another in a beautiful, faithful partnership. The man loves and praises his wife. The wife supports and respects her husband. They both fear the Lord. Oh, the blessedness of that house. And that blessed becomes the fertile soil for the fourth blessing. Children. Look at verse 3 again. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. The Lord gives this blessed couple so many children that they're like olive shoots. And if you don't know that, that imagery, let me explain it to you. As an olive tree matures, little shoots of olive tree spring up from the dirt out of the root system. And if you Google this later, you can see an olive tree that's surrounded at the base by new growth, potential fruitfulness. In fact, if the root system is strong, you can cut the tree off at ground level and new shoots will still spring out of it. Here's the point. The home environment of this faithful couple has cultivated one of mutual respect, love, industry, care. It has become a strong foundation like that of the olive root. And the shoots that spring from the root are also blessed. The Lord is blessing the next generation through the lives of the previous one. And this section has been convicting for many of us, hasn't it? When we look at our own homes and our own relationships and we see the gap between what the Lord holds up as an ordinary blessed life and the life we've lived or we're currently living in many ways. For those in marriage relationship who have kids at home, let this text be the word 
that transforms your home life today. Let today, July 24th, I think, 2022, be a day in the history of your family. Let it be a day in the history of your family so that years from now, you will look back to this day and say, this is the day that the Lord changed my heart toward my spouse. This was the day the Lord showed me a better way to love my children. He shall restore the years the locust ate. And even now, there's an opportunity for change to more fully experience the blessing of marriage and children. Well, the fifth blessing is a thriving community. Look at verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Here the psalm turns from the microcosm of the nuclear family to the macrocosm of the entire Jewish community. All of a sudden there's context to this thing. It's not just us in our house. It's us in our house as part of something greater. To see the prosperity of Jerusalem was to see the blessing of a stable Loving home life multiplied, or some might say writ large, across the whole nation. It's at this point we remember that Psalm 128, it's a song of ascents. This song would have been sung in community with other families as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. To experience the prosperity of the nation was to experience an underlying stability that became the context of a stable family. Imagine your home life has taken a turn toward faithfulness and blessing, but as soon as you step out of your front door, your family is attacked from every angle. A bombardment of a threat of physical harm and a bombardment of exploitation, falsehood, and foolishness. Sadly, this is happening all over our country right now, isn't it? Neighborhoods have become war zones. Classrooms have become foolishness incubators. But Psalm 128 tells us that God intends otherwise. The right prosperity of Jerusalem would mean that as soon as you step out your door, listen to this, this is what it would mean. As soon as you step out your door, everything you teach and experience at home is encouraged and strengthened by the community rather than attacked and dismantled. Would that not be a blessed situation? Friends, we may not have that in our civic communities, but we should by all means be experiencing it right here at Mountain Fellowship. In the family that is the church, the church is a household of households. And just as Israel was to be faithful a faithful and believing nation in the midst of a lost, rebellious world, so the church is to be a faithful and believing nation in the midst of an unbelieving world. In, in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says this about the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church is a holy nation, and we long to see her prosperity, not in worldly riches, but in faithfulness to the one who has called us. A household of households, fearing the Lord 
and walking in his ways. And frankly, I've lost count of where we are, but finally the Lord adds to all these blessings a long and satisfying life. Look at verse six. May you see your children's children and peace be upon Israel. Now in this ideal, ordinary, blessed life, this God-fearing man at the end of his life and his God-fearing wife has seen the continued propagation of his line. The shoots growing up around his table have been transplanted to their own fields, and now shoots are growing up around their tables. This blessed man sees the blessed life he lived multiplied beyond his own field. And when the time comes for him to depart to be with God, he looks up and he sees his children and his grandchildren surrounding him in love. He takes a deep breath and he departs with the satisfaction of having lived a blessed life at the hands of the Lord. And the psalm ends with this benediction, peace be upon Israel. In short, may it always be as it has been with this blessed family. This is the blessed life of Psalm 128. It encourages us, it convicts us, for some of us, it brings despair. Now, I've spent basically the whole time of the sermon just describing this ideal, ordinary, blessed life. Let me quickly address how this life is both norming and transforming and give you some hope. I was tempted to trot out a bunch of statistics about the current state of the family in our nation. But for the sake of time, just let me summarize, okay? Our culture has lost its mind. Our culture has lost its mind and it's lost its way. Seven years ago, our Supreme Court made it legal for a man to marry a man instead of a woman. Today, we have high-ranking officials who can no longer say definitively what a woman is. Some states are trying to make late-term abortions, otherwise known as raw, indisputable infanticide, legal up to the point of birth. The norm of what a blessed life looks like has been removed from our culture. It is a distant memory. The blessed life, as God intends it, is no longer in the consciousness of this nation. And I only bring up this nation because it's the one we live in. This picture of Psalm 128 has a norming power for the Christian. Do you know what I mean by that? It's, it's a norm of which against all thing, other things are normed. It's a rule. It's, it's, a, it's a standard. This, this life that God sets forth, it has a norming power from, for us. When the world around you rages against the family, look to Scripture for your norm. Hold fast to the plan of God. Here's how enduring this norm is. Are you ready? This is how enduring this norm is. In Genesis 1, God gave man and woman to each other to work the land and have dominion over it and to be fruitful and multiply. And after man rebelled against God and his wickedness had become so great, 
So great that Moses says uh, in Genesis 9 that every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And you might think, okay, well, God better go for a plan B here. It's time for plan B. Nope. In Genesis 9, after Noah and his wife and their children get off the ark, God says, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Same plan, an enduring norm. And after God had called a people to himself and they too rebelled and he sent them into exile, you would have thought, okay, plan B. Good old plan B, here it comes. Nope, that plan endured. And here in Psalm 128, on the lips of post-Azilic Israel, making their way to Jerusalem, the plan for human flourishing remains. The fear of God, fruitful labor, healthy marriages, the bearing of children, healthy community, and long life. There is norming power in this ordinary life. This life is not only norming, it's transforming. It's a transforming life. Just as the ordinary means of grace, the word, sacrament, and prayer are the regular means that God blesses us, he also uses the ordinary blessed life to transform us. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In the midst of this ordinary life, God uses these means to mold us into the people he wants us and our children to be. Now let me close with this hope. Not everyone who fears the Lord will be able to work with their hands. Not everyone who fears the Lord will be called to marriage. Not every God-fearing marriage will yield children. Some of us will have more painful experiences in the church than joyous ones. Some who fear the Lord will die young. But everyone who fears the Lord will be blessed. Everyone. Everyone who fears the Lord will be blessed. You see, there is one who can sing this psalm with utter confidence. Having seen every aspect of it come true in his life, Jesus Christ is the singer of Psalm 128. You may think, well, Jesus wasn't married. He didn't have any children. Listen, Jesus Christ lived every moment of his earthly life in the fear of the Lord. He had a holy reverence, a submissive spirit, and a faithful walk before his Father in heaven. And as far as we know, he took no human bride because the church is his bride. And when the disciples returned to Jacob's well in Samaria to give Jesus something to eat, he refused it. Do you know what he said? I have food that you don't know about. I've got food you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus had substituted his own will and desires for those of God. His priorities were his father's priorities. And as Jesus labored the good work of the gospel, he saw the satisfying fruit of a harvest of souls. 
The work of his hands in ministry and the work of his pierced hands on the cross won a people for himself. Children, as it were, for the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life as an offering of sin, listen, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And this will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. I never cease to be amazed how the life, work, and person of Jesus Christ shines in all of Scripture. Friends, Jesus Christ has seen every blessing of Psalm 128 come to him. No matter how your life has matched or conflicted with this blessed, ordinary life, shown in Psalm 128, if you are in Christ, you will be blessed. If you are in Christ, you are part of his church. No matter what storms come in this life, no matter how distorted the picture of the family becomes in our world, in your own experience, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ and she is safe in the innermost parts of the house of God. And her husband has supplied her every need to experience the manifold blessings of God in his time. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good and it is true. And in Christ, you have blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And Father, your word for us this morning, it holds up a beautiful picture of what the life of the God-fearer should look like. And, and Lord, we have missed it in many ways. But God, even now, even now, let your word work into the, the corners of our hearts and into our marriages, into our children, into this church, into every relationship with brother and sister in Christ that we may experience the blessing of God in it. And Father, we have great hope that as the bride of Christ, we are safe in the innermost part of your house. And that one, one day we will truly experience it. We pray in Christ's name.